I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. it's poodle time it is poodle time it is gonna be the summer equinox here in the southern hemisphere on december 22 so this is like time to i don't know charge your broomsticks or whatever yeah i was gonna say what are witches doing that do you put, is this when you put your crystals out well you put your yeah you put your crystals out on like a full moon or oh, a okay. new moon or oh, my mistake sorry <laughs> I don't want to get the culture wrong. No, the summer equinox is when you become sky cloud. You take all your clothes off and run out into the woods in the middle of the night. You become sky cloud? Sky clad? Clad. It's like it's a weird witchy pagan term for being clad by the sky. It's like being nude. Oh, I, I mean, I could have put that together myself. <laughs> Takes me back to that Joshua tree trip where I was wearing the sky. Jinxie, where'd you get your sky? <laughs> love, love the clad. Yeah. Who are you wearing? I'm clad by sky. <laughs> it's a c- clad by sky by Mark Jacobs. <laughs> um, anyway, we've got a pair of poodles today. We've, we've never done a double feature like this before, I don't think. No, but I, it's a good time. And a perfect set of movies. Uh, we're going to be talking about Suspiria's first Dario Argento's 1977 original, and then Luca Guadagnino's homage, remix, reboot, remake, whatever you want to call it. I'm sure we'll figure that out in about 15 minutes. His adaptation? Adaptation. Mm. Kind of like a fan project from 2018. (laughs) Uh, And so we're going to kind of focus on one and then the other and then do a a general uh, kind of comparison discussion towards the end. Yes. Yeah. 
I think Suspiria 1977 has the best tagline pretty much of any film ever. Hit me. The only thing more terrifying than the last 12 minutes of this film are the first 92. It's pretty good. It's wordy, but it's good. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. What was your first experience? This, watching Suspiria for this podcast was the second time I've ever seen it. So I went to see, I mean, they do this all the time. I thought it was a special, rare, unique experience, but Goblin, the band who did the original film soundtrack, were in Melbourne, I think over a decade ago, and they played along with the film, the live score at Acme. And I'd heard about Suspiria for years. I knew about Dario Argento. I don't think I'd ever seen any of his films, but I knew it was like a thing I needed to experience. And so I went and saw it and I remember feeling like, oh, I need to watch this movie without this live score because this live score is so noisy and like kind of intense. This can't be what the movie sounds (laughs) like, but spoiler alert, it is. Yeah, it is. I saw the same... Uh, tour of Goblin doing the live score, but I saw it at the Perth Revelation uh, Film Festival mm. in this like old theater, and it was so fab. But I had seen the film so many times by that point that every time they did something a little different, I'd be like, "Yeah, that's that wasn't quite right, guys." Oh, we're ad libbing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first time? Um, my first time in with Suspiria was. I was... Yeah, not <laughs> Specifically. <laughs> yeah, Jarvis Cocker comes in. Do you remember your first time with Suspiria? Um, I first saw Suspiria because my ex took me to a video store in Greenpoint where we were living at the time and uh, got the clock to get the like VHS I guess or DVD I can't remember what was the what we were using at that point and said uh she's gonna love this it's made for her and I had no idea what the film was I'd never mm. heard of it before and the clerk was like what are you a witch <laughs> and I was like what is going on anyway and Did then you notice my sky <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't wearing sky back then I was in a different era and um I was wearing cloud back then and yeah, I just couldn't believe it when we watched it together. Um, I loved it so much. I really was like, yeah, this is made for me. And it became like a comfort film. So How funny. <laughs> yeah, and I like I I watch it quite a lot mm. because I know I know it very well. Yeah. So it has and it's just so beautiful. Mm. Do you think you're comforted by the fact that you know it like it's familiar and so that's what make it, makes it comforting? It's also like I mean, not to not to disparage that great tagline, but I don't find it scary no, at all. No, I mean, no, it's not that scary. I mean, actually, look, I think the f- the the first death that happens um, is like it, yes. there is like a major jump scare Chilling. in it. Yeah. Um, so I guess that kind of scared me, but like another comfort film of mine is Rosemary's Baby. Sure, so, sure, yeah. It's almost like the style. And the kind of like nostalgia of it is the, yeah, is the comforting part. Yeah, I think it's like one of the best looking films ever made. Oh, undeniably, like that Art Deco Art Nouveau seventies does twenties. It's I didn't go. I just based on your Instagram when you were in India last year and you stayed in like that pink and red hotel or you went to a pink and red like palace or something. When Susie walks into the dance academy for the first time. I was like, oh, it's like Jinxie's holiday. 
I will be staying in that same building when this episode comes out. Well, be careful. I'll be watching out for those witches. Yeah, lock the doors. Although they'll come through. Lock the gates. Lock the gates. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you guys? You to the witches? <laughs> All right. So Su- let's get a little plot out of the way. Susie is the young American dancer played by Jessica Harper. She goes to Berlin to uh, study at a dance school, the Marcos Academy. Um, and very quickly, things are unusual there are like real weird women and little boys with like children of the corn bowl cuts staring at her as she like walks around and um you know there's there's magic afoot there's one single solitary dance scene in the original susie kind of uh, with some of the other dancers starts trying to investigate what is going on in the dance school it's kind of Suspiria is light on plot, but high on vibes. Oh, it's high on vibes. Because it's essentially, she goes to a dance school, there are witches. Yeah. That's that's the movie. Well, you don't know that there are, they are witches in this one. Mm-hmm. And that's like the big difference between the two films, I think. Yeah. So in this one, like you first see her arriving and she gets, and it's like the crazy weather and like the setting the scene. That's true. Weather is a, is the fifth character. <laughs> totally is. And like she's in a taxi and they're driving through like the black forest and she sees, oh, actually she gets to the academy and there's a girl coming out mm. um, and she's like screaming into the intercom. Susie kind of picks up a little bit of what she's saying, but doesn't really understand it at that point. And then she tries to get into the academy and the person inside who's been talking to this girl who's just left will not let Susie into the building. Mm. So Susie gets back into the cab and then is driving back into the city and through the black forest. And she sees like this, the girl who's left the academy, like running through the forest. And I always Mm. thought, isn't it weird that she didn't, Say anything. She didn't pull over. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't get the cab driver. She's not alone. These dancers are really training hard at night in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> they really are. And then, of course, you see that first um, character, quite grisly death. Uh, she goes into the most beautiful, like, Art Nouveau-styled apartment building. And, yeah, it's I, I really love that first moment when you see, I mean, look, I was about to say spoiler. If you're listening to a poodle, I mean, yeah, yeah. good luck to you. We're going to talk about what happens at the end of the movie. A hundred percent. And you see her looking out the window at one point. She's like very frightened and she looks out the window and then all of a sudden like the lights flash and you see these two eyes yeah, yeah, the in eyes. the blue. Oh my God. And then like the hairiest like goblin hand <laughs> <laughs> like smashes through the window and like pulls her face towards the glass and then it's like all on like all of it just becomes grisly from that moment on but like in a really beautiful way like I quite like horror films but I'm not watching Saw you know like I'm not watching that level like I cannot deal with it I just had a flashback to when I told you what the Saw movies (laughs) what, what, what the vibe is of the Saw movies and I was like yeah you know he like people wake up and there's like a a key inside one of their livers and there's a sore and they have to figure out if they're going to chop off their leg or cut open the other guy to get the key out. And you were like, wait, that, 
that sore? Yeah, and then I read the Wikipedia yeah. and I, because I did not believe you because that sounded too it's disgusting. Like traps ripping people's heads in half. Um, what's the, the poster of the new one is like tubes sucking eyeballs out. I, yeah, I, no, thank you very much. Yeah. But like. But gnarled goblin hand? Yeah. Oh, yum, yum, yum. Yeah. <laughs> I just realized we were like, we've never done two boodles in once. We literally just released three in one for Scream. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, okay, different. we did. It's I different. Did, it's a bit different. Well, that's all one series and this is like two different yeah, true semantics. Two different Italian men make the same film. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then so it's on from the moment who's the first person who dies? Sarah just Sarah Olga or are they just in the remake? I'm forgetting the names of the original girlies. Sarah is the Susie's like new best friend. Yeah. And Olga is the girl, the very beautiful looking girl who Susie stays with for a second. And Ol- yes. remember Olga's like, Sarah, Susie, they're both start with S like horrible girls. The other thing that starts with S is snakes. And then like starts hissing at them. And then they start doing that like at each other. She's a fucking freak. It's very La Chimera. Once Susie is kind of in the building, that's kind of it for her until the very, very end when she runs out. And I find the the Marcos like building as the like source of all of the like power of the witches and the coven and the like the claustrophobia of it is like so central to the original Suspiria. Like the idea that people are laying there silently, like counting steps that they hear at night so mm. they can figure out oh, they're going left two floors above me and, like, that must be where everything's happening. Um, yeah, the, the location is used in such a different way. And I think the only time we leave the location after, you know, the film begins is when the the blind pianist who is walking across the square and oh, his, like, German shepherd mm. gets possessed and attacks him. And then when Susie goes to, like, speak to... Who's the guy that she speaks to in that, like, brutalist cement outdoor? The actor is Udo Kier, but I yeah. can't remember his character's name. He but he's so guy, young and hot, he right? He's a guy who says, like, which, witchcraft is like a mental illness or something. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he says, like, magic is everywhere. It's a recognized fact always. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Udo Kier hot in Suspiria? Don't you think? Mm. I think. I didn't have that reaction, but I support it. Thank you so much. I feel really supported. Uh, I think I have those flashing blue eyes. Mm. Mm. Hotty. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We also, yeah, so we see her kind of going out of the building for those two scenes. But as you said, it's very claustrophobic and it's all about the build up, like the tension of what is actually happening inside the Marcos Academy. All the women who work there are they mostly have kind of a matronly feel to them. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of terrifying. They all look like the cliched German governess. And that they've been there forever. Yeah, they've been there forever. You don't really understand what they're teaching anybody. And, you know, like the first girl has disappeared and no one, like everyone's kind of covering it up. No one really wants to talk about it. Yeah. So there is kind of this like weirdness of thought that something is happening within the building, but what is it? And the first kind of physical sign of things is, well, when Susie gets the 
blood nose. That neon red blood nose. It's a really good one. Anyway, so she, uh, so, but the other thing that happens, the next thing that happens is that <laughs> she's brushing her hair and then oh, she looks into the comb and there are weevils in the comb and she looks up at the ceiling and there are weevils or maggots just dropping from the ceiling, like in their thousands. Yeah. Oh, nothing spookier than maggots. I just watched Pearl recently, Mia Goth connection to Suspiria. Um, and the, like the pig, the roast suckling pig left on the doorstep and just like over the course of the film, like maggots take over. It takes me right back to the Lost Boys, always. Mm. Kiefer Sutherland. Um, shout out, Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> we were always going to go there. We were always <laughs> going to go Australia, there. I was always going to get to Kiefer. Yeah. And then they, all the girls, have to uh, have a slumber party in like the rec Love hall. that. Love oh, that. I love that so much. And then you see... Marcos. The, yeah, Helena Marcos mm. arrive. Kind of. Just her shadow. Always just a shadow. Always just a shadow. Always a shadow, never a bride. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, you do see what Helena Marcos looks like at the end. And if I'm having like a bad date, like if I think I look terrible, I'm like, oh, God, I'm looking a little Helena Marcos today. <laughs> Marcosing. Yeah, Marcosing. <laughs> She's, um, so what's the idea with the, with the witches in this version is that they want I guess it's in both versions is that they kind of want to take over the body of the young dancer. Right. And they've like picked Susie as their target. They're giving her kind of like, uh, they're giving her sedatives or like, you know, something to like control her dreams. Yeah. She is given after the blood nose, which she's given by the cook or housekeeper, who like shines a knife in her face. That's right. <laughs> and then she has like a oh, fainting spell. Um, oh, I saw light. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then they give her this very special like menu that is delivered to her every night. And part of it is like this glass of red wine, which she's told builds up the blood. And every time I drink a glass of red wine, I'm like, well, builds up the blood. <laughs> But, yeah, I think they kind of want to either possess or just kind of keep her for, like, uh, to stay youthful. I think it's... Yeah, like feed off her, basically. Yeah, I mean, don't we all? Yeah. (laughs) The way that she... uh, I don't know if I'm getting too far ahead of myself, but the way that she kind of defeats Marcos at the end is very funny. It is very funny. But let's... There's... I mean, there's more gross... There's more gore before that happens okay, too. Okay, sure, sure, sure. There's there's some barbed wire before there, we get there. Yeah, that razor wire scene is <laughs> wow. It is, and like this film is one of those films that is so fun to watch with an audience because people really are like ah, like screaming yeah. over it. That's very fun. Yeah. All right. What are your what are your fave what are your fave gory moments in Suspiria? Mm, I like the German Shepherd attack. Mm-hmm. The the color of the blood is just amazing. I grew up with German shepherds as pets, and I everyone was always scared of them, and I never understood it, and now I do. <laughs> the gore isn't yeah. The gore is never my favorite thing. I have to say mm. in this film, mm. but I do I do like how silly it is. Like the the scares in it, the gore. The deaths, like it is, they are quite silly. Do you think that Dario, like that's a that's a result of 
our like modern sensibilities watching it? Or do you think Dario Argento like had a sense of humor when he was making it? I like to think he had a sense of humor when he was making it. Um, I'm not like, I haven't seen all of his films. He has so many goddamn films. Yeah. And there was like a major restoration of a lot of them recently. There's a bit of camp humor in them, but I think he took them very seriously Mm. at the same time. Mm. And I think it is just like our contemporary eyes going like, "Eh, all right. Yeah. It's um, like he took them very seriously, but it, it's almost like a style and a genre unto themselves, right? Yeah. So it's like a giallo film. Yeah. I'm mispronouncing that. That's okay. Um, That's I'm a t- term I only, I feel like I heard this year for the first time and now read or hear once a week. Yeah. It's, it's very that. Um, <laughs> but, but um, like it is, they, they all have that kind of sensibility, I guess. That's kind of like high drama but like it's a little bit camp and just kind of like visually stunning like it's always about like these wild visuals Mm. um and like his films are very much like that I mean he's made he's still he had he made a new film about two years ago yeah uh he's still going yeah he's still doing press talking about how he feels about Luca Guadagnino oh god doesn't he just yeah Yeah. (laughs) what are your favorite moments in this I feel like the um, the moment where Susie is, like, figuring it out, I really love. She's on her, like, CSI jag. <laughs> you know, she's she's going up to the, like, the flower in the wall. What's it called? What kind of flower is it? It's a blue iris. A blue iris. She's going up to the iris. She's, like, tiptoeing through the, like, you know, all the glass cases of, like, the witch's, like, treasured possessions. She's mm, counting the that. steps. Like... She's she's pl- figuring it out. And I think I like that because before that it almost felt like Susie was – not that I'm going, like, quote-unquote strong female character or anything, but I think before that I was like, come on, girl. Like, you know shit's weird. You fucking figure it out. Yeah. 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 I, I love those – like the – you know, like he also has a film, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, and The Bird with the Crystal Plumage is what – Susie takes one of the tail feathers out oh, and, like, yeah. stabs Elena Marcos uh-huh. when lightning strikes. Uh-huh. But that's not connected to this, that film? I don't believe so. No. It's been a long time. Yeah. I've never seen that. He just loves a bird with crystal plumage. And he loves the con- he loves connecting things, right? Like, this is one of three films in, like, a kind of series or trilogy or something that he made. Yeah, the... Oh, if the audio just changed significantly, I just turned the fan off. <laughs> there, it's not your, it's not your headphones. Yeah, this is part of the Three Mothers trilogy mm-hmm. um, of Argento's. So the first one is Suspiria, and then there was Inferno from nineteen eighty, and the Mother of Tears in two thousand and seven. And they have like different mothers in them. <laughs> He's so mother for that. He is so mother for that. <laughs> He's like the Chris Jenner of Jalo filmmaking. He's the momager of Jalo filmmaking. He's the momager of Italy. <laughs> I find it um, like one of the kind of Argento interviews that I read while I was kind of researching for this was an interview in interview. Um, and, you know, he talked about his feelings on the remake and Luca Guadagnino, but I think his kind of criticisms of that were bundled in with his compliments for other modern horror films, specifically Get Out and Hereditary, he really loved. Mothers. 
and he was like, you know, they've got beautiful photography and plot and production. And I find it really interesting because Get Out is obviously such a plot heavy movie, but there are, there are ties to this, like that idea of like someone who feels eked out and like kind of conspiratorial about this house that they're in, but can't figure it out. And like hereditary, these like witchy forces who are kind of like bearing down on you and you don't really know what's happening. Like there are, it's like, yeah, of course you love those two movies. Of Dario. course. And I also love those two movies. Yeah. <laughs> what a trio. What a trio. Some of my favorite things in this film, like this is kind of the film when I say it's a comfort watch, it's because I'm like waiting for certain scenes and I'm just like, oh, gorgeous. Yeah. Um, I really love when they go to the pool and that pool is it's like a public pool in Munich. Mm. And I, I, every time I go to Germany, I'm like, I'm going to make it to Munich. And a friend recently did. And it still looks exactly the same. Oh, wow. You've never been? No, I need oh. to go. Yeah, you It do. looks incredible. But do you remember the um, Olympics in 2012? There was the Russian synchronized team. It was amazing. They did their... Uh, routine, the synchronized routine to um, the Goblin score from Suspiria and like were kind of like animated in this sort of weird witchy way in the water. It's so incredible. We'll link it in the show notes. I had never seen this until I kind of peeked at your show notes and I had to track it down and watch it. They're these two little freaks and apparently like they're renowned for like a career of like spooky weird referential synchronized swimming yeah yeah they had like faces on their bodysuits oh jerking around as if to be possessed as if to be possessed it was so like the best synchronized swimming i've ever seen also just using the goblin score in like an echoey like (laughs) pool it's really cool (laughs) i love it olympic grade swimming pool just bouncing off the walls those like jagged instruments and Susie's uh swimsuit in this scene she's wearing this like amazing like pink swimsuit that is kind of like a normal kind of ballet leotard Mm. but she is so goddamn skinny in this movie that like what is should be like a really tight arm is just like hanging limply off her arm it's like something i notice every time i'm like they need to build up her blood a little bit more yeah her blood is her blood is lacking I feel like that's just like 70s chicks, right? Like, yeah, it's 70s chicks. Un- undiagnosed eating disorders. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Starlet things. <laughs> starlet things, exactly. Do you know? Well, speaking of starlet, Jessica Harper turned down a role in Annie Hall for this film. Which role do we know? I am not sure who she was meant to be. Certainly not Diane's role. Yeah, but like what what might have been? What else was she in? She was also in Phantom of the Paradise, that amazing from, from 1974. She was in Shock Treatment, which was kind of the... I don't know either of these. Well, Shock Treatment is the semi-sequel to Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh. Which is kind of... A fave. Yeah. Um, that would be legendary. Or not would be. It is legendary. <laughs> Suspiria and a Rocky Horror sequel. Yeah, that's pretty good. She was also in um, Stardust Memories, the Woody Allen film. And, oh, she was in this wild musical, uh, Pennies from Heaven, with Steve Martin and Bernadette Peters. Oh, yeah. Which, when you watch it, it's not – like, if you watch it as a kid, it's not as good as – 
what you think it is, but the design of it is absolutely incredible. Okay. She was also in Todd Haynes' Safe. Oh. And uh, she was in a film that you saw recent that you have talked about recently, Bones and All. Oh, she was in Bones and All. Hmm. Luca. Yeah. He's really paying tribute to the to the Dario girls. Yeah, he loves those Dario girls. Yeah. <laughs> He had David Gordon Green and Jessica Harper in Bones and All. It was pretty good. Yeah. Suspiria was the f- second film I ever screened at Golden Age when we opened it in Sydney. Like it played, this was the second session on the opening night. Classic. And there is like a much better 4K restoration that's out. And so if you watch it online, like if you rent it properly online and you're not, you know, doing some pirate thing. The version that you can see now is so incredible. The colors mm. are so amazing. Yeah, um, it was incredible. Like even just on my shitty little TV, it looked unreal. Yeah, it's so clean and beautiful. Like totally how it would have been, but not it. Not one of those kind of like uncanny valley kind of restorations, no. like Star Wars or something, where you're like, no, go back to how it used to be. Yeah, no, no. This is like yeah. very, very, very beautifully Gorgeous. done. I reckon if I was one of those tat tat chicks. <laughs> like you <laughs> to steal a phrase yad it up if i was yad it up i would consider getting a blue iris Tat from this film like me <laughs> <laughs> i think you should yeah where would you get it oh you'd have to get it on the like is it i can't remember which way you have to turn it but i'd get it on that arm i guess to the right left Turn the blue iris. A really cryptic fucking clue that they left. Yeah. <laughs> Turn the blue iris. It's, it's so funny. And speaking, like, I do that funny accent because it is dubbed. Oh, yeah. But every time I would screen it at Golden Age, people would get in touch and be like, are you playing the original version or the dubbed version? And I'd always be like, oh, I can only access the dubbed version. And I looked into it recently and... There is no original language version as far as I can find out because of the way it was filmed. It was filmed in dual languages. Mm. And then there was the, then the, like in Italy at the time, like all the films were dubbed. Mm. And so it's not, yeah, there is not like some beautiful Italian language version with subtitles out there yeah. at all. Yeah. Because like Jessica Harper only speaks English the entire time and so does much of the other cast. So the version that people are seeing and are having like an uncanny reaction to, that's the that's, that's it. it. That's yeah. the version. It's not a Kung Pao enter the fist or revenge of the fist or whatever <laughs> situation. <laughs> Is Udo Kier speaking German or English in that scene, I wonder? Because he's the he feels the most dubbed of anyone. He is dubbed. Yeah. Yeah. He is, I think he would be speaking German. He's he totally dubbed. In like the, the the kind of raw recording. Yeah, his it's the what you're hearing does not match up with that beautiful little mouth. <laughs> Do you have any uh also also's for yeah, well, I have, one of them is a question. Do I need to see Inferno and Mother of Tears to kind of round out the trilogy? I think you should. Yeah. But I really love Tenebrae. Okay. Um, that is – that features – oh, Phenomena. Phenomena has Jennifer Connelly. Oh, it's good. Ooh, okay. But I need to see more of them. Mm. Like, there are just so goddamn many. Yeah. All right. We'll both put that on our homework. Mm. Um a kind of kraut rock also <laughs> uh the merch of our theme song composer harvey sutherland uh it says neurotic and it's inspired by the kraut band 
Neu, spelt N-E-U. I've said it wrong many, many times before I I learned my lesson. Uh, and yeah, that, that interview with Dario Argento in Interview Magazine, I'll link as well. Very cool. What about you? Um, I mean, the synchronized swimmers. Oh, those synchronized swimmers are so good. Um, if you have access to Criterion Channel, or you can even look at their website and then see the kinds of films that they're playing in a series and then work out a different way to watch them. But they have this amazing art house horror collection up at the moment. Uh, and it has some of my other favorites, like Haosu, um, Eyes Without a Face, Kuroneko, and like Picnic a Hanging Rock. So that sort of more, it's like not terrifying, but eerie and funny and weird and they all look absolutely drop dead gorge yeah incredible and the other one would be um the peter strickland film barbarian sound studio from Mm. i can't can't remember where it when it came out but it played um toby jones the british actor is working on like an italian giallo film and it's all set in the sound studio of the kind of the foley and the dubbing and it's eerie and absolutely incredible and broadcast or james from broadcast did the score for it and even more than the film barbarian sound studio i recommend the soundtrack for barbarian sound Mm. studio that reminds me of how much Peter Strickland's, um, is it the red dress? Uh, the film about the like haunted dress mm. reminds me of Suspiria. Oh, it's very Suspiria, isn't it's it? It's colors. It's so campy. You don't know whether to like scream or laugh. Yes. Like, it's so silly. I might be getting the title wrong, but it'll be right in the show notes. Yes, it will be. Yeah. I can't remember it either. The red dress. I don't know. The, tra- the trailer for that oh. film is like one of the wackiest things you'll ever see it's quite a fun film and it has a really excellent poster everything he makes is like so a world of its own and so stylish and like freaky in like a fun way in fabric in fabric it's about a red dress it is literally about a red dress it's called in fabric thank you ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing mint mobile unlimited premium wireless ready to get 30 30 ready to get 30 ready to get 20 20 20 ready to get 20 20 ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You. Yeah. 40-odd years later, we return to the Marcos Academy. This time, Luca Guadagnino is behind the camera. And he's decided that it's not just the story of Susie Banyan and the witches that he wants to focus on. It's also the country, the city, and the year that the original film was made in that is going to become kind of like a central focus of Suspiria 2.0. Yeah. And the tagline for this could be the only thing more terrifying than the last 12 minutes of this film are the first 
1032. This is such a goddamn long film, BL. Do you think it's too long? I love this movie. I, I think it's paced really well. And I think it's too long. And um, I never say a film's too long. Don't you? No, I, I, am no, off, I don't, you I'm don't. Not, don't really. I'm not. I you don't, don't. No. Yeah. But I think this one is so long. It is. I, I really noticed on the rewatch this. So this was the second time, again, the second time I've seen it. Same. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it the first time I saw it at like a press screening when it first came out and um, was just kind of like along for the ride, really curious about what Luca was up to. Um, and it's so different to the original plot wise that I felt like I wasn't kind of expecting certain things or like I didn't know where it was taking me. And so I really enjoyed the ride. And then this second time, I think I was in more of like a comparative headspace with Mm. the original, but also, yeah, I didn't notice that it was two and a half, two hours, 40 minutes. Yeah. I just, there are just so many bits that I'm like, got, got it, got it. Like what? I hate the dream sequences in this film because mm. I really love the dream sequences in Call Me By Your Name. It's when they Timmy and Cannibal go on that little <laughs> holiday together. Oh, okay. And Timmy gets a bit drunk and he everything goes into the, like it's solarized and you see oh, like the town and yes. it's all solarized. It's like flashes of it. I honestly, like when I saw that, I was like, finally, someone's doing a dream sequence well. Like you never see a dream sequence done well. And that was beautiful. But then this one, I don't know. I was I actually did a podcast about this particular Suspiria with um, Alexi Toliopoulos and Cameron James. Mm-hmm. And we'll link that. Um, in like when it first came out and I remember talking about how I hated the dream sequences and Cameron said yeah they look like a Marilyn Manson music video and then I had that in my head when I was watching it again I was like he's not wrong it's 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 some of it is kind of giving Marina Abramovich. It's like pig's heads. It's like a, it's like a doll, broken doll, blood, like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, Marilyn, a spider web. Like it's Marilyn Manson music video. It's also year 10 media <laughs> studies assignment. <laughs> this is Mirror Father Mirror <laughs> by Luca Guadagnino. The aesthetic of this film is like such a departure from the original. It's like the, it's so... German. It is so German. And like the first one was 70s does like early 30s by way of Germany, uh-huh. right? And this one is extremely 70s Germany, which I, for the record, am here for. Yeah. They look completely different. They have completely different color palettes. And I think it would have been bad if Luca had, first name basis, mm-hmm. had, uh, we're old pals. Luke. Yeah, Luke. Uh, LG, we, uh, I think it would have been bad if he had tried to make it look like that because like the thing, the reason why Suspiria is Dario Argento's most famous, most watched film is not because it's his best film, but it's like the best looking film. And yeah. there's, I mean, who doesn't love girls in a dance academy who all have to sleep in the same building with some witches? Like that is just like chef's kiss. Like how can you get better than that? Yeah. By removing the color red until like the very, very end Mm. of the film. So then it's like the only thing you see basically is like blood, costumes, rope, Volk, you know, like (laughs) it's so red. It's like how this is a comparison. I don't know if anyone was expecting 
in Eva Longoria's Flaming Hot Cheetos movie, <laughs> she makes a point in the like production design. If you recall, I did a Q&A with her and I uh, we talked about this. But uh, brag. They pulled out like the color red until Flaming Hot Cheetos were invented. And so it was like this movie was like, you know, it, it, it was so impactful because you didn't realize you hadn't been looking at it until then. I see. But you were very aware of the lack of color going into Suspiria. I didn't know that a Flame and Hot Cheetos movie could be so deep. Oh, you didn't, you didn't know. And it isn't. But <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot to say about the casting of this movie, specifically Chloe Grace Moretz speaking German. <laughs> Why did they make her do that? I'm unsure. I'm unsure. She also, the fact that she's like, you know, back kind of reanimated at the very end i was like let her die like get rid of her what's she doing like not in this film but in life i think she's kind of a staple of like who weekly and i almost feel like chloe grace moretz's name is kind of like a joke like she's not a she's not an actress on the level of mia goth Mm. Dakota Johnson, Tilda, you know like case you case you um wish case you was in this movie oof but like her scenes with a uh, quote-unquote Lutz Ebersdorf, who quote-unquote plays the psychiatrist, Tilda Swinton is playing three roles in this movie, including this old German man. What can't she do? What can't she do? Convince people it's not her, turns out. <laughs> um, but, like, watching those two going, like, up against each other at the start of this movie, I was like, Chloe, you're out of your depth, babe. Yeah, she is. She is. The best thing she's ever been in was Clouds of Sils Maria. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say Cameron. You liked Cameron Post, right? I quite liked Cameron Post, yeah. yeah. I feel like Chloe Grace Moretz went from child, precocious child actor to, like, Clouds of Sils Maria, and she skipped her kind of mean girls phase or, like, her, like, teen comedy phase. And so, unfortunately for her, that means that she will never be iconic. <laughs> I love that this is your, like, sum of being... A starlet. It's like One Direction. Like, they, they auditioned for a, a reality TV singing competition and then became very famous. They never played, like, a festival or, like, a club, you know? Yeah. So they will never be – I love them, but they will never be iconic. They're not coming from the underground. They are not, and neither is Chloe, but there are lots of things underground in this movie. There are so many things underground in this movie. And I want to pick back up on what you were saying about the first Suspiria that you didn't find it scary at all, which is, like, yeah, it's not. Yeah. This one, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's it like skeeves me out. Yeah. Um, and it's. Ex- I think it's exactly the kind of scariness that I like. You know, the the way that dance is used as something scary and like violent and like harmful. I find really cool in mm. this movie. Yeah, I like it. Do you remember? There's okay. There's like the first blurg scene in this film for want of a better term is when dakota johnson is dancing in one room and we see this other maligned dancer in a different room yeah olga Mm, it's all the same names uh in this like mirrored room and we see what dakota is doing is like mirrored in her what her performance Mm -hmm. and she's kind of possessed by and she has no control of her own body and her body is like snapping and bending and doing very disgusting her things jaw like distorting kind of like she's in a saw movie yeah she looks like <laughs> she's just had botox for tmj or something Fuck. and which is why i didn't get it done <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, because that all happened. Poor Olga. I don't know. Um, but when that, I don't know if you remember this, but when that film, like when the film first came out and it had its like first screenings, I think in the States or whatever festival it premiered at, people were like vomiting in the cinema and like leaving and having panic attacks. And like, it was one of, you know, like every so often there's a film that is like so scary. Yeah. Um, and you're like, I don't know if this All is a beat up one or person having one reaction. One hundred percent headline yes but they released this clip online of it and it was just that isolated scene which i thought was a weird thing to do because mm. you want to yeah and you see it for the first time yeah but i remember watching it and going like oh my god i don't know if i could watch this movie yeah it's shocking and it like the tone of the movie it veers in and out like it's similar to bones and all where you, you're kind of watching this, like, road movie, romance, like, kind of teen film, AIDS parable, and then, whoops, cannibalism. Like, you kind of forget that it's going to happen, mm. and then it happens um, in a similar way to this. Like, it's it's stylish, it's mystery, it's Beta-Meinhof, it's, like, witches voting in their, like, democratic process, and then it's like, oh, and this woman's, like, jaw is, like, ripped off its hinges. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, sister suffragette and... <laughs> <laughs> so the votes for women <laughs> this the plot of this is like also different to this one although yeah. it's all about Susie who comes from well in this one she comes from like a Mennonite family yeah kind of like States. Amish Mennonite yeah. some one of them women talking women talking and then she goes to a place where more women only women are talking only women are talking so she goes to this <laughs> she goes to the Marcos Academy she goes from women talking to women dancing <laughs> she sure so she goes to the Marcus Academy and like, but from the outset here, we're like, they're witches. We know they're witches. Mm-hmm. It's very obvious. And they basically talk about it openly. Mm. Uh, and it's the same thing. Like a student has gone missing or is like having problems with everybody else and the instructors. But here you get to see more instructors and you spend in this film, you spend a lot more time with the dance instructors, mm. which I really like. Mm. And they socialize together too. And Don't they just? Yeah, they sure do. They're all going out for drinks and in tiny little cups. Um, but like Tilda's role as the dance instructor, Madame Blanc, is... This is like a whole new character. A whole new character. And she's kind of charged with these these girls, her students, but there's something kind of maternal i'll go out on a limb and say in her relationship especially to Susie. you know it's like it's like it's like luca guadagnino has really honed in on like the mother idea and not just as like the mother of a coven but kind of like the caretaker of these girls but it's it's obviously like fucked up because they're gonna hurt and destroy them Hmm. but there's something in the the tilda dakota johnson relationship that's like horny and like sexy two different things like even you know the first time dakota johnson dances for her and she's like what did it feel like she's like it's what it feels like what i think it would feel like to fuck and i was like girl that's your teacher (laughs) like i was waiting for them to fuck each other well i mean especially when they start communicating non-verbally yeah yeah she's like implanting those marilyn manson dreams (laughs) she really is There's a scene where all the witches are out at like a restaurant or bar and they're 
clinking their tiny, tiny cups together and they're telepathically talking about Susie and like whether Susie is the one to kind of sacrifice to Marcos and like to do whatever they need her to do. And the young dancers, including Susie, like walk past and see them in that restaurant. Do we think that Susie, Susie's listening to them, right? Like she can hear their conversation. Yeah. Susie can hear. I think, yeah, Susie's playing dumb in this movie. Yeah, she really is. And watching it. So that was the thrill of watching it for the second time as well, is knowing where Susie came from, where she's going, what she knows, what she doesn't. And trying to pinpoint, like, at what point did Susie know? Was yeah. there ever a point that Susie didn't know her role? Yeah. So the first one is all about Susie trying to work out what Helena Marcos is. And this one is Helena Marcos, or Madame Blanc, trying to work out what Susie is, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Like, they've kind of flipped a little bit. The place that they go for all their tiny drinks is Paris Bar. Okay. Which is in Charlottenburg in Berlin. And I did go and it was so good. Oh, really? It was really great. I mean, it's one of those places where like, it's like every like art star has gone like, you know, like Warhol used to go there, blah, blah, blah. It's like Bowie, blah, blah. Everybody has always been to Paris Bar. It's this very famous restaurant, Bistro. And the staff are like very famously rude and they are and they're like we'll forget your booking like you can't book online or over the phone like you have to i think if you're german you can probably book over the phone but otherwise it's like walk-ins but then they're like we don't take like it's very that place yeah but it's really beautiful inside and very fun but when i went there all i had in my mind was i had been with friends at napier quarter in fitzroy and I was saying to someone like, oh, I'm going to Berlin. I've never been to Germany. Like, I'm really excited. And this woman, a real Helena Marcos, she was seated like two tables away with her very large dog. And she was like listening into our conversation. And she was like, sorry, did I hear you're going to Germany? Did I hear you're going to Berlin? And I was like, yeah. And this was like right after lock, like it was the first kind of wave of being able to leave the country. Oh, is this that woman who wanted to chime in on and just like that when you were with Emily? Or yeah, it was it- with Emily. Yeah. yeah. And she, she was like, sorry, what are you talking what about? What are you talking about? And like, not to do with anything. We weren't, I don't think we were eating them. We weren't talking about them, but she just suddenly said, well, don't ever have the oysters in Berlin. And I was like, why? And she said, well, it's far from the coast. Like, never have oysters in Berlin. And unfortunately, she cursed me that day. And, like, I have, I can't You'll have them. I will never have oysters. In, don't have oysters in Berlin. If you've got one thing to take away from this podcast. I had mussels instead. They were great. Of course. Because they're closer. They're closer. Yeah, that's fine. They weren't oysters. I was like, I can't have the oysters. But <laughs> Can we talk about the looks in this film? See. Oof. Like you said, there's no red in it, but it's all like browns. It's tops. It's beiges. Uh-huh. And I love them. There are so many like. It's ballet and it's coats. Yeah. And then it's tilde. Yeah. They're like all these sharp collars and so many textures of clothing and it's like it's cold so you see just like beautiful coats and skirts and like 
little blazers with a perfect shirt. Like everything is so tailored and mm. go- like it's it's like a, everything's slightly masculine, um, but in kind of a femi witch way. How does this? How do her looks in this movie rank for you on like Tilda hotness? Because I feel like these are some of her best ever. Out- like I, I think she looks so sexy. She looks great. Every frame of this movie. Yeah, she looks fantastic. And that, like, when you see her in that, like, red caftan thing, the the gown. Oh, yeah. Perfect Halloween costume. Well, it's very Isabella Rossellini Italian Vogue recently. Uh Uh-huh. When Uh I saw that cover, I was like, I know where this is from. Totally. Yeah, I think she looks, I mean, she looks looks great. And then she looks fucking macabre Mm. um, when you see her at the end of the film Mm. there's this like (laughs) there's this weird kind of feminism to this remake you know like when at the very start when Susie arrives and they're talking they kind of talk about money and like staying at the academy and um one of the witches slash instructors um kind of says to her like oh no everything is taken care of like we feel very strongly that women's security shouldn't be tied to like their you know, marital status or something like they should, you know, women should be supported for like practicing their art. And, um, I was listening to this interview with Luke Guadagnino about this film on, um, a podcast I've never listened to before, but it's the Indie Wire, uh, filmmakers toolkit. I think it's called, it's a very short interview and it's so fun. Like he's so funny. Um, and he talks, you know, amongst other things, he talks about like, Oh, I had such a sort stomach. Oh, I'm making films. You make me anxious. Oh, I have a tummy ache. And then, <laughs> then he's talking about like the feminism of the film. And he's essentially like, mm, I am a gay man. I don't see the world in the ma- the masculine world has never been my world. He was basically like, I grew up with like female friends, sisters, girlfriends. Mm-hmm. And he was basically like, that is the world that I know. That is the world that I like put into my films. Luca, we love that. We love him. He talked also about, like, I'm just going off on a tangent, but he talked about, like, in Call Me By Your Name, he's like, I don't want to be present. I don't, the camera, no, the directing, no. I just want to look at them. We just look at them from afar. We're just observing. I I need to watch a director's commentary of this film, but with you doing Luca (laughs) (laughs) Guanti. Hearing him talk about... The Til- so Tilda plays three characters in this film. She plays Madame Blanc, hot. She plays, uh, wait, I've got to go back to my notes. She plays Dr. Klemperer, who is Zoe Grace Moretz's uh, psychiatrist, Psych. analyst, um, and who kind of takes all her notebooks and starts putting the pieces together and looking into the witches, the witness. Um, and she also <laughs> plays Helena Marcos at the end of the film. <laughs> She sure does. Even knowing that it's Tilda under all those prosthetics, Dr. Klemperer makes me too sad. I I am deeply saddened by the Klemperer character and it kind of goes to a place with him where I, I really don't like it at yeah, the end. It's like I, I don't like the decisions that were made about that character. Yes. Yes, me too. Some of the decisions. But he's like, it, it's Tilda Swinton. She's like a sprightly 50-odd-year-old in a lot of makeup, but still I'm, I have so much pity for the old man. Yeah. He's like walking across the snowy streets of Berlin, mourning his wife, like 
just at the mercy of these witches. Yeah, and the memory of like, and when he meets his ex, his like former, uh, when he meets his wife, like his beloved, played by Jessica Harper. So, so good. And such a good role. So good. But when he's like sprawled nude near the end, I'm like, I don't need this in I my know. life. I know, I know. There was, um, in an interview with Vulture, they said to Luke, this is when they're still pretending that the quote unquote actor playing this psychoanalyst was a real person. And Vulture kind of winkingly said like, it's sad. He's only going to do one movie. And Luca goes, he's quite old. Maybe if he doesn't die, we can hire him to do something else. Yeah. The whole thing was so silly that it was like hidden that it was Tilda. Yeah. But can we please talk about Tilda as Helena Marcos at the end? Because it is one of the like, <laughs> silliest things and it's like the whole film it's like actually this is quite scary you've got like all these women in these browns and torps like picking up bodies of girls with like these hooks which are really an awful object oh yeah right? and like carrying like flesh in hooks you know dumping them in the water and stuff it's awful reanimated girls with like their guts spilling out everywhere yeah like they're disemboweling all over the place Tilda's head hanging off by, like, one tendon. (laughs) It's disgusting. But then you see her as Elena Marcos, and it's like, I cannot laugh at this because she's, like, this weird flesh pot and, like, totally kind of nude wearing, like, Benny Safdie and Oppenheimer glasses, <laughs> right? Like she's got her speed dealers on. Totally, she looks like she's going tanning. And, yes, they're tanning glasses. And she, she has like little hands coming off. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like they, they taken the hands. idea of her absorbing young girls and made it really literal, <laughs> like she's eaten her twin or something. It would be a great Halloween outfit. <laughs> It would be too complicated to make. It's like um in shallow the start of Shallow Hal. Sorry, Ooh. where Jason Alexander has like a little tail that wiggles when oh, he's yeah. turned on. <laughs> She's just got like little fleshy doll hands all oh, over her my, body. Oh my god, it makes me laugh so much. It's like it takes you right out of the film. Do you feel like that that kind of design and like cost co- costuming makeup VFX like is like thinking about it now? I'm like, is that supposed to tell us that? Marcos is a fraud that she's kind of like pretending to be this scary thing. And then we see the actual scary thing that Dakota Johnson like summons, like Mm. pure death looks demonic. Whereas she's kind of this like patched together, like phony. I guess so. Yeah. She's, she's something. (laughs) She's, she's something all right. She's something all right. There is um, an article that was in Vice um, that we'll link to, which is like a behind the scenes video with uh, talking about the gruesome prosthetics used, which is really interesting. Oh, they're gruesome, all right. They sure are. Um, I you mentioned that like the, the backdrop is there is like a backdrop to this film of the Bader Meinhof. Uh-huh. I am one of the people who thinks it was unnecessary. Like, mm. there's so much going on in this film. We don't need that, I don't, like, political action happening in mm. the background of this. Although mm. I know he was, like, trying to set the scene of 1977 or the, the late 70s. But, like, I, yeah, like, the, you know, the Bader Meinhofer, like, the Red Army faction, and West German far-left radical uh, militant group. And 
if you are interested in them, there was a great documentary called A German Youth that came out okay. know, maybe five years ago or something. And then there was a dramatic version. It was also very good called Bader Meinhof Complex. That was like 2008, I think. But yeah, I was just like, I don't, there's too much going on, Luca. Mm, I think I disagree because I think one thing that stands out for me, actually doesn't stand out for me, but the original, you know, it's, it's made by an Italian filmmaker with a, some German, some English, some Italian cast, but it's all in English, but it's set in German. Like it, it was kind of, there's almost to me in the original, like why Germany, you know? Whereas in this one, it's like, you know, Susie's traveling from America to Germany and it's, it's like they've gone, it's not just a building in any city in anywhere in the world. Like this is in such a specific moment in time. And like, I didn't know very much about Bader-Meinhof when I watched this the first time. And so I went and like did lots of reading and stuff on like the German autumn, the time that it was set. There's like a German history primer that Nate Jones from Vulture wrote, uh, kind of reference you know all about Suspiria and like you know this is where Chloe's Chloe Grace Moretz is going and this is what's on the tv when the witches are cooking dinner or whatever which was very helpful for giving me that context but I kind of felt like it 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 speaks to like the idea of like the radical youth in a way that I think connects to the film like there's a reason why like you know Mia Goth and Sarah and to a lesser extent uh Susie feel like kind of empowered to like go after the witches it also obviously gives the witches like a cover for why sarah went missing because she like fell in with these this bad Mm. crowd i mean i think all of the like you know the the intricacies of like the hostage situation that's playing out on tv through the duration of the film i think is like it doesn't it doesn't give anything to the plot but i also think that um the backdrop kind of colors in the the germanness of it you know it's very german yeah and also like klemper you know his history with like the wall and losing his wife and all mm. of that kind of the you know, concentration camps and stuff um obviously gives that character quite a lot of historical kind of context coming you know it's set 30 years after the end of world war Two. yeah you're right i mm. still i'm still like more bit much and the wall is still the that's is that that's the wall outside the it's the wall the wall yeah yeah the wall <laughs> capital w ever heard of it uh you mentioned the we talked a lot about the goblin score which is so good yeah. of the original but tom york did the score for this one and like he based it on krautrock and it's really good it's really good yeah the song that plays at the very end is like it's very Radiohead. It's really Radiohead, <laughs> but it's also maybe my favorite Radiohead song. <laughs> yeah, I'm still fake plastic trees because of Clueless. You're right. Yeah, actually, <laughs> I take it back. I take it back. <laughs> no, only because of Clueless. Yeah, yeah. Um, can we talk about Volk? We can talk about Volk. How do you feel about Volk? Oh, do, I... Um, I'm not, I'm not sure about the, I don't love, I don't love it. I don't. So they do this final dance piece yeah, with like red bondage ropes. And then Susie is wearing like white face paint. Yeah. I don't love it. What about you? You don't love the styling of it? Yeah. I don't love the styling of it. It it feels contemporary. Like it feels like I'm going to go down to like, 
God, I'm trying to think of a place that people watch dance. It's it like looks a, a bit jokey or something. Really? I think it looks like contemporary dance. Totally. TM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I don't hate it, but I also like did some like reading about like the word Volk, like it means people and the way that like the Nazis used that term to kind of like um, keep people in line, I suppose. Mm. And um, there's this bit that uh, Madame Blanc says that's like, um, she says to Susie, there are two things that dance can never be again, beautiful and cheerful. Today we need to break the nose of this beautiful thing, which is like the best line of this whole film. Um, And apparently that is like, a reference to like a fucking propagandist like Joseph Goebbels speech in like right. 1937 where he said it's all about like control of women mm. dance must be cheerful and show beautiful female bodies and have nothing to do with philosophy and so this idea of like bringing people women together to be like not beautiful not cheerful like kind of aggressive and harsh and like angular and um breaking the nose of this beautiful thing. Fuck. I just love it. Yeah, that is great. I didn't know that. Why do they perform the dance to not many people? Yeah. Who's <laughs> going to the, mu- like who's, there's not, who's like they're not parents. Time out Berlin and being like, Oh, there's a dance show at the Marcos Academy. <laughs> a bunch of the girls are like, they have maggots coming out of their bellies. Let's go. <laughs> Last time I was in Berlin, I was with a friend and we were walking down this street and he was like, oh, God, I was, I've been on this street before. Uh, I went to, like, a sneaker party here. And I said, what, like, you were, like, a new sneaker came out? Like, it was, yeah. you were your sneaker heads? And he was like, no, you only wore sneakers. Like, <laughs> <laughs> skyclad save for sneakers. Yeah. So, like, is that the kind of, th- like, are the people going to that? Would they come along to the Helena Marcos Academy for a Vogue? I don't know. It's like a... The idea of only wearing sneakers at a party, I'm stuck on. It's like a, a Fire Island, like, underwear party or yeah, something. Yeah, there's, like, a lot of underwear parties, but sneaker parties? Sneaker party. Yeah, who is in this audience? Because, like, the doctor buys a ticket to go, but then it's, like, four women. <laughs> yeah, it's... But she's supposed to be, like, the choreographer. Like, what Mia Michaels was to So You Think You Can Dance in the mid-2000s <laughs> is what... Elena Marcos is to like the world. Susie Banyan watching those videos in the library. Yeah, like Susie knows all of, like Susie knows. She was like digging out the microfiche in the archives of the like Mennonite library. What? Yeah, I, I mean. Putting a pin in Berlin on her map. Do you know what Susie's Mennonite like upbringing reminded me of? Was August Blue. Because you know how there's like the backstory of the character in August Blue is like she was this like freak prodigy and there's a there's a kind of like this imagery of like pulling a piano through like a field or something mm. and like the mut the disappearing mother i was mm. like is she Susie? yeah the mother of size yeah yeah i mean look that character was uh, a prodigy but Susie is just a freak <laughs> Susie's a freak do you was okay i don't know i think i know how i feel about this but how do you feel about this like do we think that Susie? Was born and raised a Mennonite, like watched uh, Helena Marcos Volk and was like, this is this is my future. This is where I'm going to go. And when she got to Berlin, started having the dreams, realized why she was there and then was like, oh, this is me. I am the mother of size, mother Suspirium. Or 
was she born Mother Suspirium and her mother in the Mennonite community who's like dying over the course of this movie knew that there was something wrong because she was kind of of the black sheep, like the outcast of her family. Was she like a freaky witch her whole life and kind of brought these troubles to her family and so was just biding her time there until she could get to Germany? The latter, I think. I think that she maybe didn't always know what she was – her life was supposed to be, but she had – like she had always had a clear goal. Yeah. And then it became more apparent as she – was at the school but I think she enters the school as the mother like as she's gonna take him down like she knows that's why she's like kind of cruel to the other girls in the Mm. academy and I think what about the idea of like you know being able to read their minds but not letting on speak German but not letting on you know she's playing this role of like the American outsider to see kind of how long it takes for for these like fucking amateur owl witches to like <laughs> reveal their cards and she could be like bitch you thought i'm fucking mother suspirium she's extremely bitch please yeah. yeah yeah i loved i mean when i first saw this movie and that was revealed at the very end like she's she's walking into this kind of sabbath ceremony with poor little man tilda curled up <laughs> on the floor grizzly little arm tilda on one side and like hot beautiful about to be beheaded tilda on the other side (laughs) the holy trinity she's walking and she's so calm and she's so chill and the first time i watched it i was like girl are you into it like do you know what's about to happen are you just so like you've given over everything to these dance gals that you're like yeah whatever it takes to be part of the family i'll do and then the second time i was watching i was like oh they've got no idea what she's doing coming yeah i was the same. i was like a big defender of it i feel like when it first came out i really liked it and a lot of people were like it's not as good as the original but watching that the second time i was like i don't love this film as much as i thought i did mm. but like i don't plan on watching it again interesting whereas 1977 i could watch tonight yeah and you probably will i probably will yeah what about you uh i prefer this one and i think i'll watch it maybe every two to three years yeah that's fair yeah well let me know of your learnings as you continue to watch it i will it's like it's fucked up it's like juicy and psycho and i really am into that oh it's totally psycho yeah (laughs) do you have some see also's for 2018 I think I have given them the Bader Meinhof films and that Vice article. There was also a really good piece on the movie notebook called Dakota Johnson has a secret, which we will link to. We didn't even really focus on her, but this is like the most I've ever loved Dakota Johnson in anything. I like her more in a bigger splash. The other Guadagnino film. Uh huh. Uh, I've got, yeah, a few of my also's. I've mentioned the Luke Guadagnino Indie Wire. What am I saying? I liked her more in her house tour. <laughs> Similar vibes. Similar spirit. <laughs> Less limes. She's lying in both. Actually, that's not true, Ellen. Um, yeah, so I'll, <laughs> the, the few of my see also's, I've mentioned the Luke Guadagnino Indie Wire podcast, the Nate Jones, like primer on German history. There's also this blog post that I found, Jinxie, that you might, I don't know if you're going to be interested in, or maybe you'll be like, ugh, don't care. Um, but the writer Stacy Ponder, who has a blog called Final Girl, did this this piece on Suspiria after watching the 2018 version. And this is a blog post from 2019. And she kind of pulls... So there was this court case or like a legal case that happened where like um, 
Anna Mendieta, the artist, uh, kind of estate or family, um, like sued Amazon over likenesses in imagery in the trailer for Suspiria, like all the Marilyn Manson imagery. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, for, for I love of, her work. Yeah. Similarities to her work. And, um, so this writer, Stacey Ponder on her blog has kind of taken frames from Suspiria, I think the trailer and the film, um, because those images were later taken out of the film after the lawsuit and kind of put them in like an artistic, like women's art history, historical context. So like, you know, the, the image in, uh, one of Susie's dreams where there's like a girl climbing a wall is like a reference to Pina Bausch, who was a dancer and choreographer, a German dancer and choreographer who Madame Blanc's look is kind of styled after. Oh, yeah. Anna Mendieta. There's also the queer feminist writer Claude, Claude Cahoon. I don't know if I'm pronouncing their name wrong, right, but yeah, they and their lifelong partner Marcel Moore were arrested and sentenced to death for their resistance against the Nazi occupation of France. And they were, uh, their work was also cited in the lawsuit filed by the Anna Mendieta estate. Um, and the, the f- image from the trailer of like maggots crawling on faces references Gina Payne, a queer performance artist and photographer who was like big in the body art movement of the 1970s. There are references to like Francesca Woodman photos, Mary Wigman, the dancer and choreographer, and the last, I've saved it to the last few jinxie, Luca allegedly was very inspired by Judy Chicago and the they'll hollow me out and eat my cunt on a plate at the very start of the <laughs> Chloe Grace Moretz get fires off one iconic line in this film. Um, yeah, great blog post. And I like learned a lot about some artists that I wasn't familiar with. Oh, cool. I want to read that. Yeah, you'll like it. And that is the only iconic line that Chloe Grace Moretz has <laughs> ever uttered in her whole career. Not iconic, famously. Not iconic. But both Suspiria's iconic. Yeah. Worth a watch. Worth a double feature? Mm, give it a little break in between. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A year or two. Yeah. Have yeah. some red wine. <laughs> Don't have oysters. Thanks for listening to See Also. As ever, please pop over to Apple Podcasts and give us a little five-star rating and a review. And follow us, See Also Podcast, on Instagram. And don't forget, we've got a live show coming up on the 3rd of February at the Malthouse Outdoor Stage in Melbourne. We'll be joined by Courtney Barnett and Stella Moskawa. We're very excited and we hope we'll see the Melbourne listeners there. Uh, thanks as always to Samuel Hodge for our artwork and Harvey Sutherland for our theme music. Bye. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com 
Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.